Good morning. Today is Wednesday, October 26th, 2022. So I want to present you with a situation, a scenario. You're going to have to think hard about this. It's kind of a classic ethical conundrum, and it goes like this. Imagine two people who are arrested by the police for committing a crime. Now, there's insufficient evidence to convict them on a serious charge. There's only enough evidence to to convict them of a lesser charge. And the police decide that the best way to get a conviction is to encourage each one to inform on the other. So they separate them into two rooms. Of course, one doesn't know what the other is saying. And they make the following offer to each of the suspects. And there are four choices. So listen carefully to the four choices. Number one, if you testify against the other guy, you will go free and he will get 10 years in prison. That's number one. Number number two, if you stay silent and he testifies against you, he's going to go free and you're going to get 10 years in prison. Number three, if you both testify against each other, you will each receive a five-year sentence. And number four, If you both stay silent, you will each be convicted of the lesser charge and you'll face a one-year sentence. Okay? Four choices. That's the deal. You're in the room by yourself. You have four choices. Which one do you choose? Now, what I'm going to share with you today, I'm indebted to Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, for an essay that he wrote on this subject, but what I am going to share is actually very different than what Rabbi Sachs discusses. Now, if you think about those four choices, clearly the best outcome is number four. Both stay silent. You both face a one-year charge. That's the smallest amount. After one year, you're free. (coughs) Anything else, you risk either five years or possibly ten years. So, clearly the most beneficial choice is number four. However, in fact, when people are presented with this dilemma, they usually choose number three. They decide will both testify against each other and get five years. The question is, why is it that when subjects are asked this question, they're going to choose number three, which is going to end up with them in prison for five years, and they don't choose number four, where they're only going to get one year? It seems obvious that that's the best choice. But in fact, people do not choose that. And, just to make it stronger, classic economic theory 
holds that each person acts in their own best interest. So, if we would assume in this case that each person is going to act in their own best interest, they should certainly decide number four. We'll keep quiet. I get a year. He gets a year. We get it. We're finished after a year. That's the best choice. That is in my best interest. Why is it that people do not choose that? <coughs> in 1944, John von Neumann developed the theory, games theory. Now, games theory is a very wide-ranging subject with many, many applications. And it deals with different kinds of alternatives in a dynamic scenario. It's a fascinating subject. But here's what games theory teaches us. The outcome of my decision, in this case, depends on someone else's response. And I can't predict that, right? They say, if you're both silent, you're each going to get a year. But I'm in a room by myself. I can make a decision for myself, but I can't know what the other person is going to decide. And because I can't know what the other person is going to decide, I'm concerned maybe he's going to speak up and I'm going to end up with 10 years. <coughs> the best outcome is number four, but only if both of the suspects choose number four. If I don't know that the other guy is also going to choose number four, my best chance is number three. I'll go for five years. Five years is better than ten years. I can't know that he's going to agree to be quiet, that we're just going to both get one year. But it turns out that since I don't know what he's going to decide, excuse me, <laughs> I'm going to make a decision that is not the best decision for myself. In other words, if we could work together, we could have a better outcome for both of us. Now, that's why for criminals, for suspects, the police keep them in two separate rooms because they don't want them to discuss their answers so that they're going to get the best answer for themselves. That's not the, what the police are interested in. The police are interested in solving the crime. But this applies to everything. If people cooperate and work together, it's not just nice. It's not just moral. When people trust and cooperate with each other, each of them can make better decisions for themselves. They can do better for themselves. Games theory is scientific proof for the objective benefit of morality and cooperation.
In this week's parasha, we have a very, very strange passage. And it was that the entire earth had one language and spoke the same way. And they said to each other, let's build a gigantic tower. We know this as the Migdal Bavel, the Tower of Babel. And we'll build this tower and it'll go all the way up to the sky. God came down to take a look at what these people are doing. And God was not happy. This is causing them to do things that I do not want them to do. I'm going to disturb them. I'm going to confuse them. And I'm going to scatter them. And God scattered them all over the earth. This is what caused the development of civilization all over, not in one concentrated area. What was wrong? You know, you read these psukim. They're all speaking one language. They're all talking the same way. They're all working together on one task. It sounds amazing. What achtos, what unity. Why would God find fault with this? <coughs> it's a very difficult passage. And there are many different answers. But I want to share with you an answer, an approach, that was given by a Barbanel 500 years ago. 500 years before games theory was ever verbalized. <laughs> According to Barbanel, the significance of what happened is based on the verse before. The Pasuk before the narrative says as follows. Vakush Yolad es Nimrod. Kush gave birth to Nimrod, a man named Nimrod. We know he later became a king. Who Hechel Leos Gibor Baaretz. He was the first tyrant in human history. He was the first person to become not only a king, but a king that controlled, that enslaved, that took away the rights of everyone else under his rule. According to Barbanel, the chief innovation introduced by Nimrod was, in this view, his abolition of human equality, the oppression of the weak by the strong. 
<coughs> and the Abarbanel says that what Nimrod introduced into the world, this attitude, is what was responsible for the terrible debacle of the Tower of Babel. Listen to what the Medrash says. When they were building this tower, they're building this tall tower. What happens if, God forbid, someone falls down, they fall off, and they die? God forbid. Nobody cared. Just find another worker. No one cared. But if one of the bricks fell down, they would start crying and mourning, and they would say, Woe is to us. How are we going to get another brick in its place? Bricks are so valuable. We need the bricks to be able to build this tower. One fell down. What are we going to do, Vayazmir? In other words, according to Abarbanel, this was a society of tyranny. A society where people were subjugated and treated as tools. A society where there is no real competition. There is no trust between one person and another. Because everyone is being used by the tyrant for his ultimate purpose. Such a society cannot flourish. It cannot act even in its own best interest. <coughs> this is one of the most important discoveries of the 20th century, games theory, and this is precisely what the Torah is teaching us in a lesson over 3,500 years ago. The objective benefit of trust, cooperation, and equality. Without that, we have nothing. We can't even help ourselves. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing you soon in person.